Hello from the MIT Legal Forum on AI and Blockchain here at MIT's Media Lab in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I'm Dan Linna, a law professor at Michigan State University College of Law and the University of Michigan Law School. And I'm Bob Craig. I'm the Chief Information Officer for Baker and Hostetler. And we're on the road with Legal Talk Network. And we're back. Thank you so much for joining us on the road. It's a pleasure to be here at the MIT Legal Forum on AI and blockchain. And today, we're talking about AI and blockchain. And I'm really excited to be here with Bob Craig, who is the Chief Information Officer at Baker Hostetler. Bob, can you just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do at Baker Hostetler? Sure, I, um, I have been in technology all my career, uh, going on 36 years and spent 26 of those years with law firms. So. Uh, I always say to people, I'm not a lawyer, but I could play one on TV because I've observed how lawyers interact with technology for uh, more than 26 years now. Okay, so I've been coming to these kind of events now for a little while, starting with uh, some of the reInvent Law things and been seeing a lot happening around artificial intelligence. And now blockchain is one of the really hot topics as well. And starting to see a, a growing number of, of law firm lawyers and, and chief information, chief innovation officers, kind of like you. I've seen you a few times at events <laughs> like this. Right. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, you know, why you're here? Yeah, I've been with Baker and Hostetler for more than 20 years now, and so that means a couple of things. One is it gives me um, a lot of latitude in terms of the areas I explore on behalf of the law firm because I know the law firm so well. And so they've entrusted me with exploring various emerging technologies, uh, most recent of which, of course, is blockchain. Uh, and so the ability to engage in the broader legal ecosystem on an emerging topic like this, and in particular to be able to do it at MIT, I think is just a a terrific opportunity to start to bring our industry more intimately into the conversation about what could be uh, with respect to blockchain and the future of law. Okay, and I want to follow up on that, but first, you're doing a presentation here. Can you just tell us a little bit about what your presentation is going to be all about? Well, we're doing a, um, in this case, a workshop on what I call a thought experiment on a bankruptcy proceeding. And in my blockchain journey, as I sometimes refer to it, one of the most difficult things to do is to assimilate the many moving parts of what blockchain even is into a meaningful use case. And so the scenario we explore, or will explore, is that of a bankruptcy proceeding. And so the question is, you have, uh, if you will, a process, a business process, in this case a legal business process, that involves many entities claimants who all have legal representation and all of those entities have to trust the outcome of that process to make sure their rights are protected, but they don't necessarily inherently trust each other. And so the thought experiment we'll do is explore how uh, the application of blockchain throughout a bankruptcy proceeding might be brought to bear in order to uh, employ all the best attributes of blockchain, including a trusted process uh, and a trusted record. And just as a way, again, to start to correlate what blockchain is and how it, it might matter to, in this case, a large complex legal proceeding. 
That sounds fascinating. And, and as someone who practiced before I joined the academy, I was at Honigman and, and we did a lot of uh, supply chain litigation. And of course, a lot of those ended up in bankruptcies. I can think of a few areas where we might be able to use technology like blockchain. Right. Uh, to what extent are, are the lawyers in your firm getting engaged and, and doing, I mean, is this just something for the technologists like you or are we actually getting lawyers engaged here as well? Yeah, it's a great question. We actually set up uh, about a year ago, given our name, Baker Hostetler, we call it Incubaker, which is an in-house idea incubator of sorts. And so the idea was uh, we have talked to our law firm for some time about various trends that are converging to, to upset our marketplace or disrupt our marketplace. And in particular, one of those trends, of course, is emerging technology and its impact on the law. Uh, so we picked three key mega themes, as I call them, analytics, machine learning and AI, and blockchain. And uh, the idea is we have a research team who invests time and energy in exploring all of the emerging aspects of those technologies and that same team is also expert in what our various practices do. So the idea is they do the heavy research lifting, and now it's a question of how we correlate the results of that research into our various areas of law, and then ultimately, of course, correlate that into the services we provide to clients. And so in the course of setting up those incubator activities, it's been a really interesting phenomenon because we're doing it in a very targeted way, and yet we have lawyers now calling me, reaching out to me to ask to be involved. So I came to learn there's this concept called fear of missing out. Ah, and yeah. that's exactly what I think we wanted to have happen. Lawyers in our law firm sense that something's happening. They know that the marketplace is gonna look different as a result of these emerging technologies. And so our concept in our in-house incubator is to spark interest, of course, and curiosity around what might be, and then help give a structure to how our lawyers can engage in it in a meaningful way. Yeah, that sounds great. I mean, and of course, the change management component of this is so important. We see that in the law firms, uh, we see that in legal aid, we see that in the law schools, like trying to, and I think something related, and you and, you and I have talked about this, and one of the things I really appreciate about uh, talking with you about the future of the legal industry is, I think you've got some reasonable optimism about the opportunities out there for lawyers and uh, for creating better legal systems uh, for society generally. And can you talk about like from, from the law firm perspective and then just even lawyers generally kind of like, what are some of these opportunities we really should be thinking about grasping? Right, well, when you, um, boy, where do I start? You know, I suppose the one of the areas of great hype and also great opportunities is of course smart contract programming. And so starting with getting some clarity around what smart contract programming is and what it isn't, uh, and you'll hear things which I would agree with are, they're neither smart nor contracts, uh -huh. but that doesn't mean that there's not something powerfully developing in the space. And so this notion of having our lawyers um, dig into this technology in a meaningful enough way to have an intuitive sense for how one day we will, as a law firm, help our clients negotiate code, mm -hmm. right along with negotiating contracts in, yeah. in a holistic way that helps the client de-risk contracts, but also build all new forms of uh, really potentially revenue streams and even business models around these capabilities that allow you to code agreement 
code law even into the very nature of agreements. Yeah, that's, that's all very exciting. I think sometimes the lawyers tend to get focused so much on just the efficiency aspect and the fewer billable hours. And it seems like there are a lot of opportunities to improve quality, get better outcomes. The bankruptcy use case, I know that I did a lot of that work when I was at Honigman. We were special counsel for General Motors and they went into bankruptcy. There's so much to do. You can use these tools maybe to help you do things more efficiently. It seems like there's all kinds of ways then for lawyers to focus on the really big problems and add a, a lot of additional right. value around these sorts of uh, problems. Right, and I think the unique opportunity, at least based on my observation, those 26 years uh, in the legal industry, is blockchain technology uh, and, and all of its parts are going to emerge onto the scene faster than we've ever seen a technology emerge before. Sure, there's going to be a lot of fantastic failures with startups that have uh, delusions of grandeur, all of that, just like we had in the dot-com era. But there are lots of reasons why blockchain will emerge onto the scene. Various uh, aspects of a technology stack will emerge onto the scene quicker than we've ever seen before. And so what I have said to my law firm is we can no longer wait to see what uh, legal issues emerge on behalf of our clients, we need to begin to anticipate. And if we anticipate, we can be at the table with them to A, help understand it, B, figure out uh, what's possible in that world of smart contract programming and other things, uh, and then even help them build new solutions. So uh, as opposed to watching things go bad and then helping to litigate so the new law emerges. That's all going to be as important as any other emergence of technology, including in the dot-com era. But we have a unique opportunity here to be more proactive, to try and anticipate clients' needs, and then work collaboratively with those clients to figure out how what our place as outside counsel is to help them meet those needs. Yeah, that makes so much sense, and so that fits in really well with this idea of proactive law and just really right. working with clients to help them prevent problems. And we're seeing so many opportunities with, with data around that and doing better jobs, not just of predicting, but um, figuring out ways in which to structure deals. To, uh, I mean, there's so many opportunities around this for lawyers, but then of course, in some of these emerging areas, it's going to really require lawyers to have a better understanding, not necessarily be experts on blockchain or artificial right. intelligence, exactly. but can you talk a little bit about that? Like maybe, uh, I mean, how do lawyers go about learning about this in a way that would help them be able to have a meaningful conversation with you and their clients about these emerging technologies? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's actually been, we've had a lot of fun over these last 12 months. And, and what I've learned is that in spite of perhaps the reputation for being skeptics and cynics, lawyers are more innovative than they're given credit. So go back to the, that new opportunity as we started to see uh, the what's possible around blockchain, we decided the first thing we needed to do was gather a bunch of our best lawyers, uh, all but one were partners, in a two-day workshop on blockchain. And the interesting approach we took on that is we brought in a Bitcoiner. He was an absolute public Bitcoin advocate, and that's where I wanted to start, with the roots uh, we know that the roots of blockchain starts with Bitcoin. And so we did a two-day workshop where those lawyers flew into uh, my office in Cleveland, Ohio, and walked through the history of Bitcoin right down to the proof of work and how it worked. And 
uh, it was two of the best two days of my career, just watching lawyers interact at a really kind of tough and challenging technical level of Bitcoin in this case. So that planted seeds that are now growing roots and that team of lawyers, two of them happen to be here with me today at the MIT Media Lab Forum. One's a patent lawyer and one is a copyright lawyer. And so the roots of their interest and I think the start of their kind of intimate knowledge of what blockchain is started in that two-day workshop in Cleveland, Ohio. And so my job, as I see it, is to uh, spark curiosity and then get all the right lawyers kind of slipstreamed into all the right conversations so that uh, we bring a broad base of knowledge and awareness across a full spectrum of practices in a way that's impactful and meaningful. And I say it that way because what you see today otherwise in a traditional law firm context is you've got a couple of lawyers who will dive in deep and, and that's all terrific, that, that moves the conversation. Uh, but I, I really feel a sense of urgency around having a broad base of knowledge inside my law firm across a full spectrum of practice areas in order to get us equipped to be able to anticipate what our clients' needs are in this space. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, so a question I have then related to that, so you're, you're trying to get the lawyers across the whole firm up to speed in these things. What role do you think law schools ought to have in this ecosystem? I mean, what should law schools really be doing to prepare their, their I mean, uh, you know, you've got a wide spectrum of types of students in across these different schools. You've got the, kind of the top tier law schools that are producing uh, the grads who are going to firms like yours, and then you've right. got people going to solo practice. And I mean, what do you think the law schools should be doing in response to all this? Well, I absolutely believe in this emerging notion of legal engineering. And so going back to the smart contract programming conversation, I happen to not be an advocate that all lawyers need to be coders. I think the, the practice of law is much more nuanced and specialized than that. I do, however, think that all law firms have to be equipped with lawyers who are coders. And so this notion of uh, beginning to develop these unique and specialized roles that all need to be holistically brought to bear on clients' problems is where our future lies. And we'll either have to create that ourselves um, or we can work in collaboration with law schools uh, in order to have the law schools build that expertise um, with an eye toward us hiring that expertise. And so that's the area that I'm interested actually in building out some collaborations. Uh, so a semi-structured collaboration with a handful of law schools who can help get around the table, envision what that role even should look like and, and do, uh, and then get it defined and then grow those lawyers who come out with that expertise instead of having to uh, develop it inside my law firm. All right, well we can work on prototyping that, Bob, and then we can <laughs> roll it out to the rest of the schools. You know, I do want to go a little bit deeper on this idea of the coding because you know, I think I, one of the things I really try to do in some of our classes is expose students to Python, kind of demystify it a little bit. I'm not trying to make them coders, but I think, so then there's this idea that we're having pieces of contracts that could be smart contracts. And I think even sometimes we talk about, oh, I heard, I've heard people say, oh, M&A transactions, we're not going to necessarily, but wait a second, what if you break that down? Might there be right. pieces you want, a smart contract? Though, what about the idea of making sure everyone, like law as code, contracts as code, you're not necessarily training them to be a coder, but get them to be at the point of being able to read some well-written code that would be the basis for a, a smart contract. 
Yeah, no question. I think, um, so there's, there's a conceptual understanding of programming, which I would argue is not nearly as complex as people think it is. It's if-then-else logic. Yes, really, agree with It's you really more logic than, and so understanding those basic constructs and how they can be brought to bear in this emerging uh, space of smart contract programming is, is critical. Then there's this question of perhaps a deeper level of, of engineering around knowing those concepts. How could you engineer a, a whole different legal process, uh, a legal transaction? If you don't have that level of technical understanding, um, you may not make the right connection with the right legal issues in order to construct the very nature of that. And then, of course, there's the third, perhaps most technical level, which is actually laying down code. And my experience being in technology and actually starting out, I always say back when life was simple as a COBOL programmer, there's a certain, I would argue, natural acumen for coding that some people have, and plenty of lawyers have that, uh, but some people don't. And so I, I, I'm just a little cautious about um, sending the impression that our future lawyers all have to be coders. I think the issue is more nuanced than that. And the good news is uh, there will be all sorts of new roles that emerge that are as career rewarding as any other uh, roles. Uh, and so I think the diversity of opportunity to be in the legal industry and yet provide a type of lawyer role that, that we haven't yet seen before uh, is just going to explode in the next 10 years. Yeah. Well, and I really appreciate you pointing out that there's a lot of nuance around this. And I agree completely about this idea that in a lot of ways, lawyers, you would think many of them would be good at coding because they're thinking in this if-then-else sort of way. And one of the things that I've observed, I think, is a lot of lawyers walk through thinking about how they would turn contracts into code. It helps them become better traditional yeah, lawyers as well. It helps point. them think more carefully about the way they're structuring agreements right. and making sure that it is very clear what they're, what they're trying to accomplish. So what kind of other things are you doing inside of the big law firm to like, like really get people thinking about innovation and, and not just you know, see the, the shiny AI tools and say, well, let's bolt that on to the way we do things. I mean, what, do you have a kind of process you follow or? Well, it's, um, it's still pretty organic. And I think it needs to be organic because again, I call it the inspiration model. We really are about trying to inspire lawyers that there's something happening and that they can engage in it in a very meaningful way. So where we're putting our energy is around what I sometimes call the, the ecosystem. And so we're establishing relationships with important players, for example, in the emerging space of self-sovereign identity. We have a, a vibrant and growing privacy practice. And that area of law is gonna look very different uh, in the future as well. And so making sure that my team of privacy lawyers knows what's emerging in that space, uh, in this case, self-sovereign identity, and knowing who the players are, and coming up with collaborative relationships so that we can all figure this out together is really our core focus, as opposed to having kind of shiny objects that we're announcing and talking about. We think that there's a whole broad area of thought leadership uh, that is, is necessary right now. And to the industry maybe, but certainly to our clients, we want to be in a place where we're helping our corporate counsel clients um, figure this out and understand and even 
imagine new ways that they can service their in-house customers. Yeah. Well, it's really refreshing to hear you talk about all that, this kind of multidisciplinary approach to problem solving, uh, where, where we've got these teams of people who, and then you've got to have the common language at a minimum to, to be able to communicate right. right when you bring the lawyers in and everything. So before we close it out today, I just have one question. If our listeners want to get in touch with you, how can they do it? Are you, uh, can you tell us so, social media, your email? Sure. Social media, I'm on Twitter at rcraig, real straightforward. I got my Twitter account early. Also, you can reach me at rcraig at bakerlaw.com. That's um, probably the best way to go about it. Okay, well, we reached the end of the road for today's episode. I want to thank our guests for joining us today. Thank you, Bob Craig, for joining us. Uh, I want to thank the MIT Media Lab for hosting us here. And I also want to thank our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard today, please rate the show on Apple Podcasts. And we'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Uh.